Good morning. Good to have you this morning. If you're new, we want to welcome you. We want to give you an extra special welcome. And if you're new online joining us, maybe, um, we're really grateful that you've uh, taken some time to come and worship with us this morning. Uh, we take that very seriously, and we truly are honored in that. And we hope that if you're looking for a church home, that you might find one here. But if this isn't the place that God is calling you, we're, we're blessed in this community to have a number of, of great uh, churches in this community that, that, that name Jesus as king. And, and our, our deep desire, our real hope is that you find the place that God has for you. Um, but again, we think this is a pretty good church, but we know we're not the only game in town as well. So anyway, um, we're grateful that you've come this morning. So we've been talking in this series about church as community, right? We, we started that last week, church as community. This week, we're going to look at the concept of living in community, about what does it look like to be an individual within this community that, that, that God has created, that he has formed and put together, and he has called and named the church. So as we kind of look this over, let's... Uh, Let's listen to real quick. I want to share with you a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said this. He said, we don't come to church to be a church. We come to Christ, and then we are built up as a church. If we come to church just to be with one another, one another is all we'll get, and it isn't enough. Inevitably, our hearts will grow empty and then angry. If we put community first, we will destroy community. But if we come to Christ first and submit ourselves to him, and draw life from him, community then gets traction. So what is this concept, this idea of church, and what does it look like to live within that community? So uh, let's remember, let's, let's review and kind of think about this. Galatians 3.28 tells us this. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So within this community that, that, that God has, has made, that, that Jesus has, has purchased his church, um, there's a little different economy than what there is in the world. As a matter of fact, the church is the place where true equality exists, that there is equality within the church. That it's just saying, hey, there's, there's nobody who's above anybody else. There's not Jew or Greek. There's not male or female. That we are one, that we are one body. Now, within that one body, there certainly are different um, roles within that, and we're going to look at that here in a second. But, but Jesus really tore down this idea that the church would operate in the same economy as the world. Matthew 20, he was talking to his disciples, and, and uh, basically Jesus was saying, hey, look, uh, really, my kingdom isn't, isn't the same way as this world, that, that in the world of the Gentiles, they just lorded over one another. They're always looking for opportunities to, to, uh, to be dominant over one another. But he said, with you, it's, it's not like that. That to be the greatest in this place is to become a servant. And Jesus said himself, he said, for the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. James deals with this. He talks about this in, uh, <clears throat> he talks about the idea, the concept of the poor man and the rich man and, and the idea of showing partiality within the church. And he reminds us that the, that the poor man isn't, is, is, to, is to glory in his exaltation and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. For just as flowering grass, he too shall pass away. It says, for the sun rises in a with a scorching wind. And it says that the grass withers and the flower 
falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits shall pass away. And what James is doing is he's reminding us that the, that the poor man isn't, he, he's not merely his poverty, that he's something greater than that, that, that he's to be exalted in his high position in Christ, that, that, that Jesus has, has purchased him and therefore he's not in the world's economy He's up here with the, in the, at the cross. And the rich man, who's rich in the world's economy, isn't to see himself as that, not that he's merely his riches, but his, his probably his need is for humility to come down, to recognize that, that he's not above anybody else. And, and so, so, the, the, so Jesus goes on to just teach us this, this thing that, that at the cross, it's this level playing field. It's this place where, where nobody's better or bigger or more than anybody else. That there's a reality that the church is that we've all got a place and we've all got a role to play within it. In AA, you know who the most important person in the room is? The newcomer. It's the new person. It's, it's the person that they prioritize. Why? Because they know that that person there, it, it's life or death for them, right? That, that, that they don't kind of just go off and do their own thing or, or, or run in their own circles. They all are very purposeful to make sure that the newcomer feels welcome, is supported, understands that they're within a community where they can find love and that they can find support, where they can, where they can find some hope and some healing as well. The church could learn a lot from AA and the whole AA model and all of the 12 steps. Um, so, so we're to be a people who are outside of ourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. He also said this, he said, every Christian community must realize that not only, that, that not only, not only do the weak need the strong, but also the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is the death of the fellowship. Romans 12 goes to tell us, and it begins to teach us and show us a lot about what it looks like in this body life within to, to be a part of this. And it goes on in verse four, it starts this way. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness." So we're reminded here, we're one body, but we're many parts, each given different giftings, each having different things to contribute to this greater body. <clears throat> he goes on to say, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is what body life is, is meant to look like and it's what it's meant to be, where it says there, hold fast to what is good. For sailors, if, if, if any of you were a sailor out there, there's the idea of holding fast. 
And, and if you, to hold fast was, was kind of a command that was given when the storm was coming, and it was this idea of bearing into the storm and holding on in the midst of the storm around us, that we hold fast. We hold fast to Christ, and we hold fast to one another because that sailor, he had two hands, and one hand was for himself, and it was to secure him on the deck so that he didn't go flying off. But his other hand was his working hand, and it was meant to do the work needed for the safety of the ship and all who were aboard it. So we hold fast. We come together as a community to encourage one another, to hold fast with what is good, to love each other, to outdo one another in honor, to not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. We should be excited about what God is doing in the church and what he wants to do in the world. We should rejoice in hope. Why? Because that's the place where we can rejoice is our hope. Because our hope isn't here. Our hope is in heaven with Christ, right? And because of that, no one can ever touch that. And we can find a way to be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer because prayer is the means by which everything happens. And we contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. <laughs> goes on to say, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So we persecute we don't persecute those who persecute us. When we're persecuted, we bless. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We weep with those who are weeping. We're not haughty. We associate always with the lowly. We're not wise in our own sight. We don't repay evil for evil. And as far as it depends on you, be at peace. Be a peacemaker. Will you be at peace with all people? Probably not. But as far as it depends on you and me, that's the call. It's for us to do what we can do to be there, to, to be at peace with all people. 1 Corinthians 12, it kind of goes on to, to talk about this. It, it talks about the, these gifts and, and the body. And it says this, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one it is given through the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the inter interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And it goes on to tell us that, that, that the body is, is moving by different members and that the, each member should, should recognize the reality that we've been given a spiritual gift and that that gift doesn't belong to us, that it belongs to the body and it belongs to the furtherance and the building up of the body. And, and that when, as we exercise those gifts, the body begins to move in the way that it was intended to move. 
goes on to say that, you know, if you're an eye, you shouldn't want to be an ear, or if you're a foot, you shouldn't desire. That remember, there's equality in this, that every part is needed for this body to function and to move in the way that it's intended to move. So everybody has a role here. Everybody has a place here. One of the problems with American church is that we've turned church into a spectator sport. And it's not a spectator sport. It's, it's, it's something that we're to engage and we're to be a part of. And if we don't do that, then we actually miss the calling that's on us. So what does that look like? It says that in Ephesians 4, it says that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, we've taken church and we've said, well, it's up to the staff of the church to facilitate the ministry of the church. But that's a wrong perspective. That's an unbiblical perspective to church. The reality of church is that the staff of the church is meant to equip the people of the church to do the ministry of the church. We've run into a place where we just tend to hire more staff, and while there's certainly a need for staff and there's a need for facilitation of ministry, the, the, the biggest emphasis of the staff of the church is to be equipping the people of the church to do the ministry of the church so that the church grows up into all that it's meant to be, that we reach a unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature. And what, what is the mark of maturity within the church? It's attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That when the, when the body is moving in unison in the way that it's meant to, to move, when the giftings of the church are being exercised as they've been given, as the people of the church are engaging the ministry of the church, then the church is attaining the fullness of the body of Christ. It's moving in itself and in, in the world around it in the same way that Christ would be moving. And it becomes powerful. <clears throat> you have to forgive me. I have a cold. And yes, it is possible to have a cold now. <laughs> it's not COVID. It's just a cold. All right. John 13. Jesus said this about his church. And, he, and this, is, this is a huge commandment to us within the church. And this is not a simple one either because it's not easy for us to love everybody in here, right? There's some of us, you get people in here that get on each other's nerves. That's a reality of church. A church is not a simple thing. But there's a call within this to love one another. Jesus said this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love is this deciding thing. It's this thing that differentiates the church from everything else. That the people of God are supposed to, A, for, first and foremost, are supposed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And, and then that, in, in so doing that, that empowers us, that, that brings us into a place where then that love goes out to a love for neighbor, right? We love our neighbor as ourselves. We, we start to understand that there's a calling in my life to affect the community that's living around me, and that's, that's next week's message, right, is the community within the community, 
is that the church is, is called to be a community of people that live within a greater community, helping to affect change and discipling the world around us, not being discipled by the world around us. So Jesus said that if we do this, if we truly enter into this place and we start to become a people who are demonstrating the reality of our love for one another, not just gathering for an hour on Sundays, but a people truly committed to one another, a people committed to the furtherance of the body and the, the, the great commission and the world out there. See, it starts to look like this. Here's a lot of the one another's that are out there in the church. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Bearing with one another in love. Why? Because sometimes we're hard to bear with, right? Be kind to one another. Forgiving one another. Submitting to one another. Admonishing one another in all wisdom. Abound in love for one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Exhort one another every day. Encouraging one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Above all, keeping, keep loving one another earnestly. Show hospitality to one another. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. So I want to challenge us now with four good reasons why it's important for you to be involved in the body of Christ, to, to, to actually be a part of this community, to enter in, not to sit back on the sidelines. There's a couple of good reasons, too, not to sit back on the sidelines. One of those is this. If you spend your church time on the periphery of church, then... When something difficult comes your way, people aren't going to know what's happening in your life. And you're probably going to be upset and mad that the church hasn't responded in a way that you think they should have responded. But there's a reality that, that, that we need to be known. We need to allow ourselves to be known. You see, accountability is a funny thing because if we enter into an accountability relationship with somebody or within the church, you'll only be accountable to the degree that you allow yourself to be accountable right? We can say we're accountable. We can say we're part of a community, but that looks different at times. It looks like actually entering into that whole process. Reason number one is your healing and your well-being. Nobody can do this for you, but they can come beside you and they can walk with you through this. And I'm going to hold that, that God's recipe for healing and wholeness and restoration comes from the body. It comes from community. I can promise you what the enemy wants to do is isolation. That's his plan always, is to isolate you, to isolate you alone with your secrets, with where you're at, with your struggles, with your pain, with the health and the, with the healing that we all need. He wants, to, he wants to section you off somewhere alone and leave you alone with your own thoughts and your own ideas. I don't know about you, but that's a dangerous, scary place for me to exist, is in my own head. See, but when we're a part of community, we're part of something greater. We come together, and now all of a sudden, people start to 
one of the most comforting things about that is when you start to hear and realize that you're not the only one who's struggling with some of these things, right? We start to realize that, oh my gosh, somebody else has actually had a similar experience because the enemy the whole time has been telling you you're the only one. And if they knew about you what, what, what's really true, they would completely reject you, and so would God. See, these are the lies of the enemy. These are the things that, that keep us outside of community. These are the things that isolate us away, and these are the things that keep us in our brokenness. AA has a great um, saying. They say, secrets keep you sick, right? Now, that doesn't mean at the same time that you got to come and spill your guts to everybody here. That's not the picture. Don't do that. It's probably not wise, Right? But there are people that you can trust and relationships that you can build within this community. And that's the picture, is that we would be willing to, to be a part of that and that we would, be, we would be growing in that. Your healing and well-being is, is, is your responsibility, but the church's responsibility is to walk with you in that. See, I can't do it for you. We gotta be willing. But I want you to look at this, Isaiah 61, this is where Jesus got up and he began his ministry with this and he said this, he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Let's look at this. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's come to do this, and I'm the one who is gonna bring the gospel, the good news, into bear here, right? And, and at the core of everything about our healing and our well-being is the gospel, that we can be forgiven, that, 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 that we aren't our actions, that we aren't our past, that we can be set free into something new and different, that we can be a new creation ourselves. And so the heart of this message is that Jesus has come to bring good news or the gospel. And then it says this, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. There's a reality that each and every one of us is brokenhearted. There have been things in your life that have been hard. There are things in my life that have been really hard, right? And we're brokenhearted over those things. But you see, Jesus has come to, to help us to foster some healing, to, to bind that up, to bandage that brokenness and the broken heart. And he's put his people in place to be a part of that. To proclaim liberty to captives. Well, who's a captive? A captive is somebody who's held against their will, right? By maybe a foreign entity. And, and so there's a reality in our lives, too, that sometimes other people's sin has spilled over into our lives, and it's affected our lives, and it's affected where, we've at, where we're at. It's left us brokenhearted. It's left us broken. It's left us struggling in the midst of that. And, and Jesus is, is here to help us to, to understand how to, how to have liberty from the captivity that we've been led, that, that we're under. Because there's a reality that, that, that people's lives, everybody else's lives, not everybody, but, but certain times people's sin has spilled over into our own lives and we're held captive by that. And Jesus begins to help us with things like forgiveness and, and ways to not be bound to the past. You see, unforgiveness is this event that leaves you bound in the past, unable to move forward. The only way to move forward is to sever yourself from that event. The only way to sever yourself from that event is forgiveness. 
That's a process. It's not an easy thing. It's a process that we work through, but this is a process that we work through in church. This is what church is about, right? Remember, this, is, this isn't a place where everybody who's got it all together meets every Sunday and we, we just put on a big smiles and we all got a, a good deal going, right? No. This is a place where the broken meet. This is a hospital, or it's supposed to be a hospital, right? Where we meet to, to grow, to be real, to be transparent. The problem is, is that too often we put on our little smiley face. Yeah, how are you? Oh, I'm great. It's fantastic. Yeah, everything's so good. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I'm the pastor. I know it's messed up, right? I'm messed up, and you guys are messed up. I know this. <laughs> This is just the truth. To bind up and, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, a prisoner is generally somebody who's there by their own actions. They've put themselves there, right? But we've got to recognize the beauty of the gospel is that even if we put ourselves there, there's a way out. That we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin, that the penalty for, a pit for sin is paid by Jesus, right? That we weren't called to be the Savior, so we don't have to live our lives just the rest of our life going around just flagellating ourselves and just beating ourselves and whipping ourselves and trying to somehow justify our actions. We can be set free from that, and we can walk in the freedom, recognition that we've been forgiven and that that prison door is open and that you can walk out of it and into the freedom that Jesus has purchased for each and every one of us. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, it's the ultimate year of Jubilee, and the year of Jubilee had the whole idea of just the forgiveness of all debt, the restoration of all things. This is what Jesus has come to proclaim, the day of vengeance of our God. We have a deep need for justice. We have a deep desire for justice, and we have to understand that our God is a just God and that he's going to make all things right one day. And sometimes we're, where we've been captive by somebody else's sin, it's the only way out is to recognize that God is a righteous judge and that one day he's going to write the books. But your job and my job isn't to hold the position of judge, jury, and executioner. Our, our job and our freedom is found in forgiveness and allowing. And, and, and even maybe, maybe something has happened that's so tough and that happens that the only way you can let go of it is to recognize that one day God says he's going to set the book straight. And just give up being judge, jury, and executioner. It's so freeing, right? So freeing to give up that, that spot. I remember the day I gave up running the universe. Wow, what a load off my shoulders. What a load off my shoulders it was. To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. What a picture where, where the Jewish people would wear sackcloth and put ashes on themselves and be in mourning. It's this picture that, no, God is going to restore all things and that we are going to get this headdress, this beautiful headdress, instead of that the ashes and all of those things are going to be taken away, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. It's a whole new way to walk in this world. Point two is your own spiritual growth. We have to grow spiritually. And, and let me just tell you this. I don't care how long you've been at this, you have not arrived. There is no arrival. There is no fulfillment of this. When we start to talk about understanding and knowing an infinite God, nobody's getting there. Nobody's arriving. We, we, we haven't got to a place where we're just done. 
And the beauty of the Bible and the beauty of God's word is that you cannot plumb the depths of this thing. You can't get to the bottom of it. The, the, the deeper you go, the more profound you'll find this book to be. It's an amazing thing. But, but our spiritual growth is, again, something that I can't do for you. Nobody can do for somebody else. We can't make anybody grow. But this is the picture is that we would be first, A, getting healed up. And then next, we would be growing spiritually. Because even the, in the healing up, the reality of many of the problems that we face as people, as human beings on this earth, they're spiritual at their core, right? So an understanding of the spiritual reality of our lives and that we're spiritual beings, that this is who we've created to be, there's a necessity for us to grow spiritually. There's a necessity for us to be discipled. This, was the, this is the way that Jesus said that the church would grow is through discipleship. And we have to be focused as a church really on, on discipleship because, because this is the way that we grow both individually and this is the way that the church grows. Colossians 1.10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Hebrews 6.1, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from death and of faith towards God. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Again, Jesus tells us that where two or three are gathered, he is there as well. Your, your, your private time is important with God, but your time in community with others, this is why we have such an emphasis on small groups. This is the place where we see people grow. And the people who grow in, in, in maturity and tend to stay in the church long-term and, and become leaders in the church and move up are almost always the people who have involvement within small groups. And they grow in that, in that environment. And like I was saying last week, it's that, it's that place where when you're not just subject to only your own information, but all of a sudden we have a group and we have, we have more people and more information that's coming at us, it starts to unlock and open doors that we didn't even know were closed. It starts to take us into new places. So part of your spiritual growth looks like really living in community. The next reason is to take your place in the church. You have a place in the church. That, that there's, there's a calling on your life, that God has equipped you uniquely, that you've had unique experiences that nobody else has. You have relationships that other people, that nobody else in here has. That your life has been this unique thing that nobody else has had. You're gifted, you're called. You have a place in the church. But you see, the church must be much more than just Sunday morning, right? By necessity. Because if it's just Sunday morning, it's really hard for all of us who attend church here to exercise our gifts on a given Sunday morning. We meet here to encourage one another to start to grow in this concept and this idea of the church, to understand that the church isn't a building, it's not a sermon, it's not something that we went to, it's something that we actually brought and assembled together here this morning, we brought the church here, and then the church is encouraged, but then the church has to continue in community, growing together, and then finally going out and affecting the community out there. So you got to take your place in the church. You got to recognize that God is, is, has a unique place for you. 
You have unique relationships, and I believe this, there's work that God has for you that only you can accomplish. 1 Peter 4.10, as God has received, each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Finally, God has called you You've been called. There's a calling on your life. And the calling on your life is much greater than the things that we tend to live our lives for day in and day out. There's a great calling on your life. There's the ability to participate in his kingdom. There's the call to be a part of what God is doing in the world around us. Remember, the church is God's means by how he is moving on this earth today. And you're a part of that, and God has called you into that. And he has work for each one of us to do. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is calling you to the things that he has for you. He's calling you to find fulfillment in the furtherance of the kingdom. And there is nothing more fulfilling than participating in kingdom work. There's a lot of great things about the world that we live in. There's a lot of amazing things that I love and you love and all of that kind of stuff. But true fulfillment, real fulfillment, happens when we begin to participate in eternal work. Things that have eternal ramifications, eternal rewards, eternal purposes. About to close up here. Isaiah 61 closes this way. And it says this. It says that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the call of the of the, this is why the church is together. This is why you're called to find healing in your own life, to recognize that you have a place in the church, that there's a calling on your life, that, that all of the reasons to grow and all of this stuff ultimately end outside of us. We're supposed to be a vessel that's able to, to, to hold some water so that we can go out and water somebody else, so that we can go water something so that it can grow. And, and, and look at this. I mean, it if there's ever been a time in our lives anyway where we should recognize the reality of the need for the church to stand up and to be the church and, and to quit just allowing the devastation and the, and the ruin of the, of the cities around us, the, the, the wrecked condition of, of the world, the deception that the world is living in. See, it's the church that has answers. It's the church that's been given the keys to the kingdom. It's us that God is calling to go and to make a difference in the world around us. And what an amazing, amazing privilege to get to do that. You say, how do I do that? Well, you just, you just go be light and love to those around you. you. You love God first, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're all walking in that, if we're all doing that, then it's gonna start to change things. It's gonna start to make a difference. 
If we don't allow ourselves to just be distracted by all the millions of distractions that are out there each and every day, if we start to walk on purpose, recognizing that there is a purpose, and wherever we find ourselves, whatever your vocation is, whatever you're doing, to start to just start the day by saying, God, where are you at? Blackaby, right? And how can I join you in what you're doing? And I promise when we do that, God will use you. He'll start to put you exactly where you're supposed to be that day and investing into the kingdom work that he has for you. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you that you've, that you've created the church and even the beautiful mess that it is. Lord, we thank you that, that, that you've, you've done a thing that, that probably by all intentions shouldn't work, but yet by all our wisdom, we would, it, it should implode, but, but that you've made it this thing that, that can never be defeated, that you say that, that, that hell will never, will never defeat the church. And so we're thankful that we get to be a part of that. And we just pray, Lord, too, that we would have a right understanding, a right concept of church, that we wouldn't see church as a building or a sermon, but that we would see it as the collection of God's people, each coming with unique and, and God-given gifts that are meant to be exercised within this place, that it's a body that has many members and that each one of us represents one of those members and one of those places, and that when we all just do our part, that this body begins to move in the world like it was intended to move. So Lord, we just pray that you would help us with that, that you would meet us in the places of our struggle, that you would heal us up, Lord, that you would grow us spiritually, and that we would recognize just the, the place that we have in the church, that we wouldn't shirk that, that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't just put our responsibilities off and hope somebody else filled in the gaps for us but that we would truly enter in and that we would truly do the things that we're called to do, that we would participate in this body. We wouldn't just observe it. We wouldn't just sit back and, 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 and see it as, a, as something that's to be observed or, 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 or a spectator thing, but that we would recognize the need for our involvement within it. And so, Lord, we pray that this church would be that, that your spirit would fill us and that, God, that we would move in a way that's pleasing to you and that we would move then even into the community around us in a way that furthers your kingdom, a way that blesses others. Help us, Lord, this day. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.